Hi, readers. Welcome to Books Connect Us from Penguin Random House. This is a podcast about staying connected with each other and the stories and authors who inspire us. Rory Power is the New York Times bestselling author of Wilder Girls. In her latest thriller, Burn Our Bodies Down, a young woman is haunted by her family's past. The book has been called a deliriously creepy tale that would keep your nightmares up at night. Now let's join our own Caitlin Whalen in conversation with author Rory Power. Hi, Rory. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. We are so excited to have you. So we get to hear you talk about both Wilder Girls and your new book, Burn Our Bodies Down. But before we get into all of that good stuff, <laughs> I would love to hear about what you've been doing recently that has helped you feel connected or hopeful. Um, well, it's it's been a lot of like writing. I've been on deadline for pretty much the entire pandemic, which is such a strange sentence Perfect. to say. Um, <laughs> but I just I just started like slowly leaving my house like masked to the nines um and <laughs> and like just driving around so that's been that's been really helpful but also my cat I, I would be remiss if I did not mention her um it's been a long time since things happened in my apartment that were not because of me so now like hearing a noise and being like oh god that's my cat <laughs> it uh it, you know reminds me that, that other people exist <laughs> Right, and this is your new cat, right? Yes, she is now. I think she's approaching four months old now, which four months. Yeah, she's getting big, but she's wow. also still incredibly small. <laughs> so she's basically the same age as quarantine. Yeah, right? kind of. She was born in April, so she, you know, she missed the first part where we were all like really confused, and then mm-hmm. she just came in once we were like settled and knew what we were doing she's- a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, she's a true quarantine mm-hmm. cat, a true <laughs> quarantine baby. <laughs> you can just watch her grow with us. Exactly. So I'm sure that she's been keeping you pretty busy, but do you have a favorite activity that you have done when you're at home, or has it truly just been writing, writing, writing? Uh, writing, 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 and then a lot of watching TV, which like I would do anyway, but <laughs> this is nice to Absolutely. have kind of an excuse. Um, recently, oh God, they were so good to us. They put out two seasons of Selling Sunset during this and I'm obsessed with it. It is just perfect television. Rory, I love Selling Sunset for everybody who's listening in. This is quality, quality television. It's by the guy who did The Hills. So like already, you know, it's God tier, but like it is so good it's a true mountaintop and every time I finish the season like I don't know how they do it but I am more angry than I was the last time like when I finished season three which I of course did in one day I was like about to have a stroke I was so upset I wasn't even ready for it I just sat down thinking I'm gonna watch one quick episode Mm -hmm. of The Office and then the next thing I know goodbye everything goodbye work and like just you gotta do me and selling sunset the instagram deep dive on all of them like i am very up to date with all their lives (laughs) i'm right there with you (laughs) well now netflix gave us selling sunset but since quarantine started you also gave us quite the gift and burn our bodies down that came out in july (laughs) look at that right there right there so i'd love to hear a little bit from you about both of your two books, before we get too much into talking about Burn Our Bodies Down, could you tell us a little bit about the New York Times bestselling Wilder <laughs> Girls as well as Burn Our Bodies Down? Yeah, uh, so Wilder Girls is kind of like Lord of the Flies meets Annihilation, if those help give you a sense. It's like 
um, a private school, a boarding school off the coast of Maine uh, is put under quarantine because the girls there have started having these terrible symptoms of this mysterious disease. Um, I did not know. <laughs> you knew. You knew it was coming, right? I did not. I swear. Um, but it's been like we're lucky compared to them. I'll say that, which is a yes, weird, like, obviously nobody here is very lucky at all, but um, they're having a very bad time. Um and one of the girls in the quarantine goes missing, and so her best friend decides to go look for her. So that's while the girls. Um, and then Burn Our Bodies Down is kind of sharp objects by way of the X-Files. It's about um, a mother and a daughter and their complicated relationship and what happens when the daughter decides to go looking for secrets about her mom's past and ends up wishing she had not. <laughs> um, also not having a good time. But that one is more like psychological horror, I think, where mm -hmm. while the girls is a little more body horror, there's still elements of both, but that's to me where yeah, the Yeah, and I think that's that's something that you do so well. And I mean I mean, Refinery Twenty Nine said that your writing is occasionally shocking and always gripping, paced calls you thrilling and unnerving. And then Claire Legrand, the New York Times bestselling author, called it your books, an eerie and unforgettable triumph. So you always have this great combination of the eerie and the fascinating, the unbelievable and the gripping. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you go about piecing those two components together and kind of the genres that you like to write in? Because I think one thing we always talk about when we're talking about you, Rory Power, the author, <laughs> is there something indefinable yet irresistible about your writing? Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I think... I always like, like I grew up reading fantasy and I love, I still love reading it now. Um, so I really grew up like immersed in speculative fiction, but I also, when I sit down to write or when I first sat down to write, coming back to it, um, it really, I really wanted to, to work in, in this, in the contemporary setting. And so combining those two things felt really natural to me. Um, and I think, I mean, I'm like, I just love to take a metaphor and make it literal. That's really all it is. Like, <laughs> while the girls is an obnoxious puberty metaphor, um, burn our bodies down. It's just like, what if generational trauma were like corn? There you go. Um, <laughs> well, we're going to talk about the corn in a little bit, too, because I've got we'll be talking about that more, too. But you continue. But yeah, I think there's something I hope there's something anyway, compelling about seeing the sort of metaphorical or like intangible processes we all go through made really physical um and especially like as a teenage girl growing up there was so much that I felt like wasn't being shared with me or like conversations that were being had about me but not including me or these sort of labels that were suddenly being assigned to me as I grew up and as my body changed and what have you and blah 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 so like being able to see that physically and being able to like reckon with it on a tangible level, I hope is cathartic or meaningful in some way. It absolutely is. And I, I think, you know, what's really compelling about us sitting here talking in the midst of a pandemic that does feel kind of like speculative fiction, like who would have <laughs> thought it's the perfect time to be reading something like Wilder Girls or Burn Our Bodies Down because it does so perfectly take in these elements that we could never imagine, and yet we do love to fantasize about them and see how they play out and kind of what secrets they unravel about the characters and maybe about ourselves as the readers. And I think you do that incredibly well, and it 
is to something that is so gripping. It's not something I think I've ever read before. So I'll stop fangirling now. I'll move on to my next question. Um, But with all that being said, talking about yourself as a teenager, how did you or why did you become a writer? Uh, I I was one of those kids who like I grew up loving it. I my first book, I was six years old and it's called Detective Pony. And then the sequel is called Detective Pony Finds the Diamonds. So it's a spoiler about what happens in the book he does find the diamonds yeah I also illustrated it myself so you know it's a real banger um ready for your graphic novel I know (laughs) just I was preparing um so yeah I've I've loved to to write since I was really little um my mom is actually a writer so she watching her like go through the process and and really approach it like an actual job really taught me from a young age that like it's possible the names on on books are not just like random people who disappear like they have lives they had to work to do this and so it's possible for you to work to do this um but once I got to like high school and college I was very much like no I could never write like my mom's a writer I could never be a writer and like it doesn't seem practical. I don't want to do it. So I very firmly pushed it away and then ended up circling back to it after working as um, as an editorial assistant, where basically all I did was actually write when I should have been working. So I was like, oh, thank goodness for all of us. That worked out well. I should really like I should really make a pivot here. Um, but yeah, so it's been it's been in the family and it's been uh, something I've loved for a long time. But it just like took me a little while to to come back to it. Well, I'm so glad that you did. And now you're sitting here with these two amazing books out in the world. Has it felt any different this time around with your second novel coming out? Definitely. Um, I mean, the <laughs> the world circumstances alone, um, it, you know, the book came out in early July and after it came after a month in June where we really dedicated a lot of time, but not nearly enough, you know, to, to talking about the injustices that black people face in America and in the world at large and in what the publishing industry can do to, to work against its inherent biases and and the systemic racism that exists and everything. And so it, it felt very strange to be in July suddenly like, hello, please buy this book that has nothing to do with that and is about me like a very white lady. So that has been a kind of cognitive dissonance for me. And I've tried to make sure that like whatever I do, it's never superseding the important conversation. Um, but all, and also just like the fact that there we're not doing in-person events. It's been great in that I've been able to talk to a lot of people I might not have been able to before, but it's also just like, it's a change, um, something to get used to. Uh, and then like on the book level itself, this is a long answer, but like on the book level, going. This was just a really different book. It was the first one I'd ever written under contract, the first one I'd ever written when I already had a book out in the world. Um, and it was hard. It was, it's a really personal book. It ended up being much closer to the bone than I re- think I realized when I started writing it. So by the end, I was just like exhausted. <laughs> and it's been scarier to, to, to publish it and to put it out in the world, but also I think in some ways more gratifying than with Wilder. Wilder wilder girls um we can leave that part in because I got my own title wrong yeah so it's been it's been a lot it's been complicated 
Yeah, but I, I love hearing about all the complicated because I think, you know, as a reader, you walk into a bookstore and you're like, oh my God, my favorite author, Rory Power, has another book out. <laughs> but there's so much that goes into that, right? There's so much thought and even about the timing of do we keep that pub date? Does it stay on sale mm-hmm. in July? And how do we get this story out there? respectfully, authentically, and in the right way. And that does take on a lot, but I think it's been a beautiful progress so far. It's exciting that it's out there. And, you know, when people want to pick it up, they can pick it up. That's the beauty of stories, yeah. right? You have all these options and maybe not everyone can say the same, but there's literally no such thing as too many books. My TBR <laughs> is like up the wall, around the corner, into the other bedroom. Oh God, we can't even talk about mine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess I'd also like to know, you've mentioned it was under contract, but when did the idea for Burn Our Bodies Down first come to you? Like, what was it? What inspired you? What was that first image? How did that come about? I was, it was, I was on the phone with my editor, um, Krista Marino, a Random House employee. Uh, It was spring 2018. I think. Yeah. Um, and we were kind of like in between rounds of edits for a while, the girls and we were talking through and she mentioned like, Oh, what are you thinking for your second book? And I had a totally different idea. I was like, I want to do like a creepy convent book. And she was like, okay, but what if you didn't? I was like, fair enough. (laughs) Um, but I didn't have any other ideas, but I was on the phone with her and I needed to. So I, opened Pinterest. (laughs) And the first thing I saw was this um, photograph by Ellen Jansen. Um, There are two photographs that that are kind of like the same image, but from a different perspective. One's called Encounter and one's called Threshold. And I think I saw Threshold first. I'm not sure. It was one of the two. Um, And it's this hand kind of reaching out of tall grass. And I'm not very well versed in what plants look like what so I thought it was corn and I was like uh so what if I did a book like about corn that's like field of dreams but nightmares and like no Kevin Costner and no baseball and Krista was like okay like have fun (laughs) that sounds better than the other one at least um but she was very nice but I didn't know what I was doing um so that was really the the start of it just like pure panic and luck on Pinterest but after that, it took a lot of like, I, I did a lot of research into um, sort of farming techniques, which was so boring. Um, but like, I was going to ask if you grew up on a farm no. <laughs> or anything like that. I didn't think so. No, I grew up in a suburban Massachusetts in one of the like 30 identical towns just outside Boston. But I have always wanted to go to Nebraska since I was a kid, which I don't know why. But it was like literally on a list on my wall when I was 16 of places I wanted to go. Um, Listeners in Nebraska, hit up Roy Power and let her know where to go. I know about Carhenge. I want to go to Carhenge, (laughs) which is like Stonehenge, but made out of cars. I I wanted to work that into the book. Yes, I want to see that too, actually. But I couldn't. Um, But yeah, so I just started, I had this sort of image and I started to fill out the space around it with with research and, and... concepts that I've just always been really into um like I've always loved like doppelgangers and so I immediately wanted to work that in like I had the idea like maybe it's like the doppelganger is coming out of the corn and then the girl is like who are you are are you real am I real and then (laughs) that was really all I had for like six months (laughs) um yeah somehow we ended up with an actual story it just took a little while I think that imagery of the cornfield, though, is that is something really incredible. I 
honestly haven't spent a lot of time thinking about corn, but I have relocated to North Carolina where I grew up, and I'm now living amongst a lot of cornfields. Mm-hmm. And after reading Burn Our Bodies Down, I drive a little bit quicker like, whenever I'm torn by the scary. I think there's something like they inherently are. weird about them. And I also like... <laughs> There's a lot of like menacing corn in the X Files. There's at least one yeah. scene I can think of in particular where they like run through a field of it, and you know they're being chased or by like an alien or whatever. Um, so that I think definitely imprinted on my brain when I was you know 13. And I also love like I'm really inspired a lot of the time by like geometry and like um, just patterns in a way. So I love the that when you're driving past a planted field at some point you hit the right speed and the right angle that you can suddenly see all the rows like all of the mm-hmm. planting rows exactly and then you if you like speed up a little bit or you keep going they disappear again and I something about that I just have always really really been fascinated by that and so I wanted to kind of capture that feeling of like suddenly being able to see everything crystallize but then it goes away and put that in the book like literally with corn <laughs> Well, it's also what's really interesting to hear you talk about right now is that this idea kind of came out of this one photograph, this one lightning burst of inspiration, but then also earlier we were talking about how personal this book ultimately became. Mm-hmm. And I know I've, I've heard you and I've read you talking about this um, generational trauma <laughs> and the effects of that and how that works. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I was you know, working on the book for a while and it took me a long time to really figure out what I was missing, I was trying to approach it in this really abstract way and it just wasn't clicking. And I realized that I had this this character sort of circling the book that I wasn't looking at, and that was the main character's mom. And as soon as I realized that, I was like, oh no, like I'm gonna have to talk about like <laughs> it's the, mom. the mom and the mother-daughter relationship. And I don't think you can talk about like for me at least, I it's it's very impossible to talk about one's relationship with one's parents without then considering their relationship with their parents. And of course you could take that back like as many generations as you want, but I decided to draw a line somewhere. Um, And so that made it really natural for me to add in this grandmother character who has shaped her daughter and in turn her grandchild in a very particular way. And for me, that was really personal because, um, you know, my mom and I are very close now. We, like, I value our relationship incredibly, but it it took a lot of work to get there. We were not always that close by any means. Um, and I think a lot of that came from my grandmother on her side, who was a, a difficult woman, to to put it one way. Um, she She went through a lot. You know, she grew up in Greece in the occupation, but she also passed a lot of that on to her child and her child in turn, I think there's, you know, sometimes it's unavoidable to that we pass on the things that happen to us to other people. And that's really something that showed up in the book, this idea of recognizing the cycle that you're part of and deciding, do you want to step away? Do you want to continue it? And that's where that's where the book, I think, divides from my own life in that, like, I think, you know, Margot, the main character, gets to a point where she's like, is it worth it to me to keep working on this? And she decides one thing. And I think my mom and I, we decided like, yes, it is. And we, you know, are so much better for it. And like, 
I'm so proud of the work that we've done, the two of us. And I think, I hope that if, you know, a young person is reading the book, they might realize through reading it that like, it's not the only thing out there, the way that your family has created you. Like, that's not the only way to exist. And you can acknowledge the things that have made you this way. You can acknowledge the patterns that exist in your family and in you. And you can let them hurt you. Like you can let them hurt. You can acknowledge that hurt, but you can also then step away from it. And it doesn't like, you're not, you're not stuck. I think is, is kind of what I hope people reading it realize. Um, so yeah, it ended up being very, like, very, very much the book that I think, well, honestly, I, I could say I think like teenage me wouldn't need that book, but I, she would probably read it and be like, you don't know anything, like, leave me alone. So <laughs> it's a book that she probably would have hated, but like, I think. But fortunately, it's a book that probably would have sat with her because it still sits with me and I read it quite a while ago. Yeah, I hope she would have read it and then been like, fine, like when she's 24, <laughs> she's like, oh, okay, that book was right. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's just, I think a lot of us have, you know, we carry baggage that was given to us by not our parent, not even our parents, but people who came even further before. And that's hard to recognize sometimes and hard to to grapple with. But I hope the book not makes it easier, but just like lets people know that it's okay. And that whatever decision you make, that's okay too. I think that's really powerful, and I think it certainly does do that. I had read an article recently, or not even recently at this point. It was before quarantine, so a whole different world away. (laughs) But it was about the importance of storytelling within families and how you pass down stories from one generation to the next. And listening to those stories and sharing those stories is a really powerful way of creating a sense of place and belonging for people and community within a family. And what's so interesting about what you're saying and what Margot, the main character in the book, is going through is this idea of seeing those stories and getting something from those stories and applying it to yourself, which is what it sounds like you're hoping your readers will be able to do. Mm -hmm. But for Margot, she doesn't really have those stories. Her mother has kept everything about their family and their history totally in the dark and has kept her totally separate. And a lot of the story is her going back to her mom's hometown and trying to get those answers how did you come up with Margot's character who is so determined and so strong yet has such a heart and a longing for family? That was really, I mean, part of it's like necessity when you're working with a mystery, you need somebody who like wants to know the answer. Um, <clears throat> but the interesting thing for me about Margot is that when you grow up in, in an emotionally abusive is about is what I was about to say wow beautiful (laughs) when you grow up in an emotionally abusive household a lot of the time you end up with this mindset where you don't ask questions you do not want to disturb the status quo anything you know it's a very like don't rock the boat kind of kind of mindset and I think Margot really has that where she she knows how things are with her mom she's gotten very used to the routine she knows exactly how fights are going to go and then here she is in this new situation with somebody who seems to really love her. And she's like, I need to know what happened. I need to know the answers. But there's also this whole other part of me that is like, don't do that. You won't like the answer. It'll only cause trouble. Like do what you've learned to do your whole life, which is just be quiet and sit still. Um, And that 
conflict to me was really the most interesting part and also the hardest part just in terms of writing it to be able to balance like what the story needed the forward momentum that that the book needs with the trueness of the character which is that like there's a lot that she just doesn't want to know or that she's like I know I should be asking that question but like I really am not going to instead I'm just gonna like go in my room and sleep um and like meshing those two really drew me in and I think Margot came out of that sort of that like everything about her is really built around that that single conflict of like it'll be better for me if I do find out but here's everything that I've ever wanted is if I don't ask any questions and that's tough and she ends up having to really like consider which of those is more important to her and which of those is I hesitate to say better for her because I I think being like what's good for someone can really be so subjective but what she feels is better for her (laughs) yeah and that that's such a tough question that is seeking the truth worth it or is the truth something that if I don't seek now can I ignore it for the rest of time Mm -hmm. and that that was kind of one of those things that really hooked me in where I was like Marco I'm desperate to know the answers here but like I also don't want you to lose all these things that you so clearly want and it's such an incredible tension that really brightens the story and makes you want to dive into it further. But I also know that we're running a little bit out of time. (laughs) So I want to ask you just a couple more questions, even though I could talk to you about corn and doppelgangers all day long. (laughs) Um, But are there any writers in particular that might've inspired your writing as well, or anybody that you happen to be reading right now? Uh, Right now um, I just started the year of the witching by Alexis Henderson, and I'm really looking forward to getting into it. Um, I'm only like a chapter in, but I'm obsessed with it already. Um, I've also been reading, um, well, I, I've always loved anything Christine Lynn Herman puts out. She just finished her Devouring Grey duology. Um, the second one, The Deck of Omens, came out in April. And it's a really lovely, like, um, kind of small town, spooky, contemporary fantasy that deals a lot with, like, complicated families and and queerness in, in really lovely ways. So I always think what she does is amazing. Um, and other writers who who really like I felt their influence definitely Nova Ransuma. Um, I think her prose style is just incredible, and I'd be like very remiss if I didn't mention uh, Jeff Vandermeer who wrote Annihilation. Um, I read that book. I'd written like a first draft of Wilder Girls, and I really didn't know what it was. And then I read Annihilation, and was like, oh, you can write about only the things you care about, <laughs> like. <laughs> oh okay like never mind then I'm gonna do this um and he's just also like been a really a really wonderful like mentor figure for me and well I, I hope Jeff if you're listening you're my mentor what's up <laughs> like, um <laughs> yeah and I think he just does really inventive things and I'm always eager to see what he does next um yeah that's the same exact way I feel about you So we're coming to the end here. And my final question for you here on Books Connect Us is how can your readers connect with you while we're in quarantine? I am tragically very, very online, like just all the time. (laughs) So I'm on Twitter and Instagram mostly. Both of those handles are at It's Rory Power. Um, And yeah, I'm I'm there all the time. But I also have a, if that's not your jam, I also have a contact form on my website, which is itsrorypower.com. And you can email me there. Um, I do respond. It just takes me like an epoch. So like buckle in for that way. 
Um, but yeah, I'm 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 everywhere. Oh God, that sounds terrible. I'm on Spotify too. I make playlists for all my books, so if that's a thing that you like, fantastic playlists, you guys. Oh, everybody tuning in, perfect. Switch right over. <laughs> um, yeah, they're like one of my favorite things to do, and they're all songs that I've listened to while writing the book. So if that's fun for you, check my socials. You can usually find me like spouting off about it there. So, <laughs> and you can also find plenty of corn emojis. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was fantastic getting to talk with you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you and so I much hope for you having me. <laughs> yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to Books Connect Us. For more great book recommendations and information about your favorite authors, feel free to follow Penguin Random House on social media or visit penguinrandomhouse.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps more listeners to find our show. This podcast is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. I've been Aaron Leaf, and until next time, this has been Books Connect Us. <laughs>